Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us pray. Almighty God, who through the resurrection of thy Son did secure peace for our troubled conscience, grant unto us evermore this peace, that trusting in the merit of thy Son, we at length come unto the perfect peace of heaven. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Well, we receive the testimony of men. We listen to what people say. We believe what they say when it makes sense and when enough people say that it is so. We believe facts that are given to us, but the testimony of God is greater. There is no greater testimony, not only because of the message of God's testimony, but because of its power. It is God's testimony. It is what he has said to us. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But we are foolish, and we by nature trust the world more than we trust in God. Even though the world has been shown to be false and wrong in so many ways, and in so many issues, yet the world has a lot that we desire and has power that we fear. The world has power that can immediately hurt or harm us. The world has honor that is valued as and more among men than God's glory is. The world has wealth that promises to be the solution to so many problems that the world says we have. The world has influence over everything that we do. We live in the world. We have to deal with it. We have jobs and family and dreams and aspirations, and the world has promises of gaining these things for us. We have needs of food and shelter and clothing, and the world seems to have control over these necessities. We have desires for pleasure and honor and success, and who but the world has the wherewithal to fulfill these desires? We receive the testimony of men. Parents tell their children to go and get a job that can earn money before they tell them to be rich toward God. And children believe the testimony of men to their own misery. And children believe the testimony of men when teachers tell students that they can be a great part of changing the world by their work without also teaching them that there is nothing new under the sun. But children still receive the testimony of men and believe in dreams of their own righteousness changing a system or a world that has no righteousness. A lover tells another lover, I will never stop loving you. And the lover believes the lover and then finds that love is not mere pleasure but must be something closer to suffering for another. And the testimony of men fades like the flower that bloomed. The testimony of God is greater. It is the testimony that he has given to us about his son. And his testimony is of a son who was begotten of his father from all eternity. And yet in time, in the fullness of time, was born of a virgin and lived among us and suffered for us under the law of God and died in our place and rose again on the third day to new life to testify and declare to us that he is the son of God who cannot lie. He said he would rise from the dead. He rose from the dead. And so we receive his testimony. 
The first thing you need to learn about being a Christian is that you are stupid. If you don't believe that you are stupid, you're not a Christian. Now, you may say, I am not stupid. I have an IQ of 120 and I get good grades. To any such objection, I reply with this, with this question. Who among Jesus' disciples was the smartest? Who knows? Who cares? <clears throat> but Thomas thought he was smarter than all the others. Thomas fulfills Solomon's pro uh, proverb, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There is... And remember how Solomon, the wisest man in the whole world, whose wisdom is greater than anything that I've ever read in any natural philosopher. Go read Ecclesiastes and then take a philosophy class here at the University of Wyoming and ask yourself, which is better? Solomon showed himself a fool by giving in to his foreign wives and worshiping false gods he knew were false. The first thing you need to, need, need to learn about being a Christian is that you're stupid. If that offends you, then you need to come to grips with your pride and self-reliance and ask yourself what you actually know. I saw a sign at a shop downtown yesterday evening. It said, you are enough. It sounds like a nice thing to believe, but if you believe that, you cannot be a Christian. You must know that you are not enough, that your mind isn't enough. That the testimony of men and the testimony of your own heart are not enough. Thomas relied on his own senses. His own senses weren't enough to make him believe that Jesus was risen when in fact Jesus was risen. I don't like people defending doubting Thomas. Not because I think I'm better than he is. But because the same unbelief that dwelt in Thomas, that made him trust in his own seeing and touching and in the experience of his senses, that same unbelief dwells in my flesh. And it is my greatest enemy. It attacks everything good that is in my life. It isn't something to be excused. It is something I fight against every day, this doubt of Thomas. It is the opinion of the world. It is the authority that it rules by. If you want riches, then they must be what you see, or they must be in what you see, or what you do, or what you accomplish. If you want honor, it must be what you can see, what you can do, and what other people testify that you have. If you want happiness, it must be what the world says is happiness, what you can sense and feel, unless I see in his hands <coughs> the mark of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side I will not believe if you want truth then it must be what you can see and weigh with your own reason and senses that is the enemy I fight and you must fight it you would be a Christian if the only glory there is is what the world offers then all glory decays and fades if the only wealth there is is what the world offers, then wealth disappears, moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. If the only joy is what the world offers, then joy always turns to sorrow. And if the only life is the life that the world offers, then life is not very long, is it? That I have heard the testimony of God, the real God who made me and all of you who created all the things I see out of nothing, who looked around and called good, 
I have heard the testimony of God, saw man go astray from him and leave that eternal joy which he prepared for them. I have heard his testimony that there is a joy that comes after weeping endures for the night. There are treasures in heaven that I cannot see, but they are real. That there is a glory that cannot die, because it is in the man who died and lives never more to die again. He is risen. And the first thing Jesus says to his disciples when he sees them afraid, feeling their guilt at having abandoned him, afraid of the world that has all the power, disappointed in themselves, ashamed of themselves, weak, locked behind doors because the Jews might come for them. What testimony does Jesus speak first to these poor, stupid disciples whom the world considers impoverished and whose hearts condemn them for their very real sin? What is the testimony of God for such sinful men? Peace. Peace be with you. That is what Jesus speaks to his disciples. And that is the testimony that we need. If you go to the modern state of Israel, everyone says shalom. Peace, just as a greeting, a common greeting. But it rings hollow in a land at war with its own inhabitants. Soldiers walking around with automatic rifles. Peace with the power of military might and money. The hippies of yesteryear saying, all we are saying is give peace a chance, as if peace is inevitable if we would just stop resisting it. We have heard rulers promise a war to end all wars. And we have had friends who said peace while their hearts were planning evil against us. And we have made promises that, that, that would give peace for our spouse and children and friends, and we have broken them. The world promises work or drink or drugs or music or nature or some euphoric experience to give to our restless hearts, our burdened consciences, some freedom, some end to the war that is in the heart of every man, some peace for a little while. But what does the testimony of men say? Where is the peace? What can men give us? What can Adam say to his children whom he plunged into war with God when he will believe that he was like God, knowing good and evil? Go, you smart, intelligent man, you wise human being, and tell me if you have peace from your knowledge of knowing good and your knowing evil. Go join Thomas in his doubting and see what you have. Find what peace is there. The words of Jesus do not ring hollow. They are no mere greeting like saying, how's it going, or hey, or I hope you're doing all right. No, this word peace is the voice of him who just fought the war the world can't win for you. The battle you cannot succeed in. The fight that he fought in the stead of sinners. It is the battle against unbelief and doubt. God did not make you not to trust in him. He didn't make you not to trust in him. So you have to reckon with that. Why don't you trust him? That's the war. It's the war that Jesus wages 
against the lie that you are like God, knowing good, e good and evil, and so you need to see and feel and touch before you can believe. It's the fight against sin, and Jesus fought it, and he won. He fought it for you, because he loves you. He fought it when you had failed, and you had joined the other side. He fought it when he saw that you had no peace within or without, that the world offered many things but left you only disappointed and ashamed. He fought this battle for you. It was a very real battle. And when he said peace, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them the wounds. He showed them the fight, the battle. The sin that they thought they still had because they could feel it. They could sense it in their heart and conscience. And it gave them no peace. Because sin robs you of peace. It is, it is only a battle with what is good and with God. That is what sin is. The testimony of men doesn't remove sin. The testimony of men will tell you, okay, yeah, you need to do this and that, and your life will get better, and maybe you'll have 10, 20 happy years on earth when you finally get good enough. But Jesus showed the disciples the war won. He showed the scars in a living body. He didn't need to keep these scars. He didn't show the stripes on his back from the whip. He didn't show the gnarls on his head from the crown of thorns. They were gone. But he kept the wounds of the nails that killed him. And he kept the wound of the spear that showed him dead. He showed the battle won, the wounds that suffered for their sins, the wounds that ended the war as Isaiah prophesied, and by his wounds we are healed. Because he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and the punishment of our peace was upon him. He fought against sin by taking it into its own body and destroying it in his death. And so now he shows up alive, and the first words he says are peace. The people who really needed to hear it. And he showed them the trophies of his victory, wounds that testify that their sin is gone, their guilt removed from God's sight, their fear is dispelled, and God, whom they were hiding from as much as they were hiding from the Jews, is at peace with them through the death of his son, who lives and speaks to you, and to me, as he spoke to those frightened sinners hiding from the world, peace. No war. Peace. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and by blood. And it is the Spirit, the breath, who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. He came by water. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And the voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit ascended on him as a dove. He came by blood. His sweat was as great as, his sweat was as great drops of blood in Gethsemane. When he said, My soul is sorrowful, even unto death. The beating, the cords, the whips, the nails, and finally the spear that joined the blood to the water that flowed from his side after he cried out to God, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, receive the holy breath. 
For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that testify, bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Jesus breathed on his disciples, and he said, receive the Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit. In his breath is the Holy Spirit. And then he said, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. How is this? The Spirit testifies with the water that was poured on Christ that tells you that God is pleased with Jesus and his life and death for you. And the Spirit testifies in the water of your baptism that tells you that Christ's death is yours. His peace is yours. And the Spirit testifies in the blood that Jesus poured out for you that is joined to the water that sprinkles your conscience and makes it clean and he says, peace. Do you not feel this peace in your heart? Well, then do not listen to the testimony of men. Listen to the minister who says what Jesus tells him to say, as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus has sent me. To forgive the sins of repentant sinners. To you who know that you are stupid, that you have trusted in your senses and understanding, and in the testimony of men, more than the testimony of God, Jesus speaks through the minister whom he has sent, your sins are forgiven. And this is just as valid and certain, even in heaven also, as if Christ, your dear Lord, spoke with you himself. He said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And so he came and stood in the midst of them. And he stands in the midst of us today. And he speaks through a sinner. A lowly instrument. You do not need to see to know that this man with, scar of, with scars of death has overcome your death. That he is your Lord and God, the ruler over your sin, the one you sinned against. But here he stands in the midst of us, present as he promised, forgiving you through the lowly instrument of a sinful man like Thomas or Mark or any pastor he sends through his church. But come to church. Jesus is here. There are more than two or three gathered here. He is in the midst of us. He comes to those who are afraid of the world and their own sins. And know their own efforts have no power to overcome a world that lies and seems so strong. But Jesus has the power to overcome the lie. He has the power to win the war, he has the power to give you faith. He tells you in the world you will have tribulation, pain, and sorrow, but be of good courage, I have overcome the world. He has testimony that is greater than our hearts have when they condemn us, greater than the world that claims power that fades. He has testimony that tells poor lost sinners that they are forgiven and at peace with God. It is the greatest thing you could ever have. It is an interesting thing when you watch people die as they get older. The things that they used to talk about aren't important anymore. The things they had anxiety about, they worried about, they're just not there. Because the only thing that they're facing is death, which is the loss of all things that we can see. No one sees in the grave. No one senses anything. It's just a dead body. Go prepare for death, you young people. 
Luther once said the whole Christian life is just preparing for death. Prepare for death by repenting of your sins and listening to the testimony that creates faith in your heart. You don't create faith in your heart. You don't sustain it. That's why I say go to church. If you stop going to church for a long time, you know you stop praying. Your heart's not in. You're not thinking about God. You're not with other Christians. You're, you're avoiding God. That's what you're doing for some other peace, for the testimony of men. That's what's going on. But Jesus comes even to people who have ignored him and betrayed him and run away from him. And he stands midst and he speaks and he creates faith in your heart with the truth that you learn that the world can't teach you. Pilate said cynically, what is truth? He had the power the world aspires to. Jesus says peace to frighten sinners and you know that it is a truth greater than anything the world has to offer. It is a confidence, a childlike confidence in the promises of God when confidence in your own understanding and experience has failed you. It is the truth in the words of Jesus joined to the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, that shows what is greater than the world. It is the new birth that the Holy Spirit creates in your heart with the water and the blood by the words of Jesus so that you trust in Jesus, you trust in Christ. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. It is your faith that overcomes that big, strong, powerful, rich, mighty, threatening, intimidating world. Because faith clings to Christ who says peace that the world cannot give. He says it to you. And it is a testimony that is greater than that of men. It is the witness of God that he has testified of his Son. It is the truth that sets us free. But we overcome the world now by faith. I want you to look at your life. What are all the things that you hope for on this earth? Put all earthly hopes behind you this morning. And lay hold on eternal life by believing in Jesus who rose from the dead for you. Every other hope can serve only one hope. And, or it is worthless. We have one hope of our calling, Paul says. Thomas was ready to go and die with Jesus before his suffering. He said, let's go die with him. But even that sincere desire did not have the hope of the resurrection and eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life. Not just this dying life. Eternal life. Lay hold on to the life that rose from the grave. Listen to the testimony that God has given to us of his Son. Hear, and your soul will live as newborn babes desire the sincere, pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He gives peace to sinners, and he gives them the right to be called the children of God. And they are who, as newborn babes, as the stupid, as those who cannot help themselves but must have their diapers changed, desire the pure milk of the word of God by which they can grow. This is a word that is in the water, that God that gives us the blood and that Jesus joins to the Holy Spirit when he sends pastors to forgive you your sins. I want you all to be at peace with God. What a joy to preach the gospel. I believe it. And I want you to believe it. I pray before every sermon that God would open your hearts to receive the word of God, which my poor stammering lips can hardly... I just, I've only scratched the surface beauty. But I'm going to leave you with this admonition which I need myself. <clears throat> Beware, lest you value the testimony of men, including yourself, 
more than the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The same authority that tells you that you are forgiven of all your sins tells the unrepentant and unbelieving that their sins are bound to them. They're holding on to their sins as if they're not that bad or as if they can handle them. If you try to handle your sins on your own or deny them, then you are relying on the testimony of men and the world will overcome you. You make God a liar while you are lying to yourself. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. As often as you come to Jesus, as often as you hear his voice and he draws your heart to hear his word, no matter if you have fallen a million times, no matter how deeply you fall, there stands Christ in the middle of his holy Christian church with his ministers, drawing you to himself, coming to you with a peace the world can't give to show you the wounds of the living Jesus that tell you, peace be to you. Your sins are forgiven. God is at peace with you. Eternal life is waiting for you. Love is yours to have and to hold in sickness and in health. As surely as the Father sent Jesus to die for you, so surely Jesus sends this sinful man to tell you what Jesus has to say, I have overcome the world. I forgive you. Peace is yours. And so I speak as one sent by Jesus as a successor of the apostles, as one who administers the keys of the kingdom of heaven in the stead and by the command of Christ and for his church. Peace be to you. I forgive you all your sins. Amen.